Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are so excited to be talking to host of WNYC's The Longest Shortest Time and also This American Life producer, Hillary Frank. That's right. Kristen's conversation with Hillary is kicking off podcast summer camp. So basically, this summer, we are talking to a bunch of fellow lady podcasters about what they do, why they do it, where their interests lie, and how they got to where they are. Basically, I think we kind of selfishly wanted to hear that from other podcasters. And when it comes to podcasts that I personally love, Caroline, The Longest Shortest Time is definitely at the top of the list because it feels a lot like the kinds of in-depth, candid listener stories that we get so often. And The Longest Shortest Time is also focused around parenthood and also just familyhood more generally. So it really feels like a kindred podcast to me. Well, Kristen, how did you get interested in it if it is a podcast about parenting? Neither one of us is a parent. Well, it was actually a parent friend who first mentioned it to me and said, you have to talk about this. They talk about all sorts of things that you cover on Stuff I've Never Told You. And so I did, and I was hooked because it very much does have an almost This American Life feel to it because Hillary has such an incredible way of engaging her guests to really mine the depths of what it means to be a parent beyond what we normally read on parenting blogs or in all the different parenting books you might see. It really gets to the nitty gritty of what it's like and how unglamorous and difficult it often is. And also, too, incredibly rewarding, of course. Well, so what was your favorite part of speaking with Hillary? Well, selfishly, because like you mentioned, I am not a parent at this point, but you and I are at an age when friends of ours are becoming parents. And one thing that I was so glad to get her insight on was bridging the parent-non-parent divide. Because I think a lot of times, especially in pop culture, we see this division between, oh, here are the non-parents who are still cool and we can hang out as late as we want to, and then there are the lame parents and all they want to do is talk about their babies and playdates and things like that. And you can't possibly get along. How could friendship survive that? Um, but Hillary talks a lot about how it is absolutely possible to survive the <laughs> survive kids getting in the way of of your lady friendships or just general couple friendships or I'm just saying friendships <laughs> different types of friendships all the various classifications of friendships yeah well that's good to know I'm actually getting dinner with uh, one of my best lady friends since second grade here pretty soon and she is about to have her third so that's good to know that there's hope for us to remain friends and other. I was going to say 20-something years, but now it's been more than 20-something years. Friendship is more powerful than babies, Caroline. <laughs> yeah, babies aren't very powerful. They're very, very weak. They, they, don't they have, can't even stand they up. They don't have much neck strength. They can't even feed themselves. <laughs> well, to kick things off, Hillary is going to introduce herself and how she got started in radio, which then led to podcasting 
and the longest, shortest time. So, dear listeners, please enjoy my chat with Hillary Frank. My name's Hillary Frank, and I have been a radio producer for 16 years. Um, I started out um, doing some work for This American Life um, as a freelancer and then moved on to freelancing for a, a lot of different radio shows. Um, and I've also written three young adult novels um, that, that I illustrated. I, my degree's actually in um, drawing, in drawing naked people. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I studied um, like anatomical drawing. Um, at the New York Academy of Art, and while I was there, got my first story on This American Life and wound up going into radio. Well, I have to ask then, what was your first story on This American Life? My first story was something I put together using um, a boombox and answering machine, microcassette answering machine. Um, those were the tools of the day, I guess, or what was accessible to me as someone who didn't know how to make professional radio. And... Um, I did a story about my two friends in college who pretended to be a giant. Um, one got on the other's shoulders and they would wrap a blanket around themselves and wear like a long um, kind of kiss style wig. Um, and they called themselves Giant Man. And um, they would like show up on the quad at night and, and they would post these like posters, uh, flyers all over campus saying like, uh, <laughs> giant man will be appearing on the quad and he would he would show up and just be like i am giant i am huge and i'm i'm a benevolent giant man and i have come to shower you with butterscotch candy and he would like throw butterscotch candy at the crowd but the thing was that everyone who didn't actually see giant man believed that he was real and um and there and it was and people believed it so much that like there were professors discussing in philosophy classes whether or not um we were exploiting a freak of nature wow yeah so i interviewed my friend who was the top half of giant man oh man that sounds fantastic <laughs> Um, well, for listeners who might not be familiar with The Longest Shortest Time, can you tell us a little bit about it and where the idea came from? Yeah, so um, The Longest Shortest Time is a podcast I started when my daughter was about 10 months old. Um, I had a really rough delivery and recovery um, from childbirth. Uh, I had an episiotomy, which is, you know, when they cut you to help get the baby out. And then my stitches busted um, a week later and I needed to get recut and stitched. Um, and that was like actually more traumatic than anything that had gone down in the, in the actual birth. And I wasn't able to walk um, for the first two months of my daughter's life. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't do the kinds of things that you want to be able to do when you're a new mom. Like, um, I couldn't bounce her. I couldn't um, get into the right position to breastfeed her. I couldn't change her diaper. I couldn't give her a bath. And, like, those are things that not everyone relishes doing. But, like, you want to be able to take care of your kid when, when you first have one. And um, I also couldn't go upstairs. We lived in an apartment um, where our bedroom was on... I was upstairs and the bathroom was downstairs, so I, I slept in our very dark, tiny living room on a air mattress um, for the first eight weeks of her life. Um, so it was like a really dark time, and I, we moved 
four months after she was born to a town where I didn't know anybody. And it looked to me like everyone was having an easier time than I was. Um, and, you know, I would... I wanted to make friends. And so, like, let's say I would be at a coffee shop and I would see somebody um, holding a very tiny baby and I'd be like, wow, look at you. You're, you're doing it. That's great. And they would be like, well, it's been two weeks. And and for me, it was just such a like a, a, like, uh, a punch in the gut. And I felt like, how was I going to continue to have a conversation with anyone like that? Um, and so I felt an urgent need to know that other people were struggling. Even if it wasn't the same exact struggle that I had, I needed to know that it wasn't super easy for everybody else. Um, and I also knew that um, as... So as an experienced radio producer, I knew that um, having a microphone kind of gives you license to ask somebody anything. So that's what I did. I started um, interviewing people about their struggles. And, and, and in the beginning, it started out as this very kind of selfish thing that was very cathartic for me. And then, and, and podcasting wasn't so big back then. And so, um, it felt almost like this private thing, even though I was putting it out there. And I, and I said at the end of the show, um, if you want to tell your story of a surprising struggle in parenthood, email me. And I started getting emails right away from strangers who wanted to talk to me. And, um, it started out with us like, coordinating during our kids nap times really like getting 20 minutes in here and there to talk to people and these like mostly strangers to me would wind up crying almost everyone cried in that first year and um and what i learned was that it was becoming cathartic to other people as well what do you think then is the root of that catharsis why why is talking about the experiences so particularly cathartic, especially during that uh, period of time as being new parents? Yeah, so um, I think that uh, the first thing you want to hear when you're going through something difficult, no matter what it is, is that you want you want to hear someone telling you um, that you're not alone, and that's what um, I think the podcast had the power to do on a very basic level was just someone in your ear being like. You can calm down, take a deep breath. You're not the only one. Um, and then, it, and then the other thing that it does is that um, when you hear that someone had a struggle that um, is different from yours, maybe just as intense but different, it reminds you that um, you had an easier time with something else, something that they didn't have an easy time with. And um, I think it can be really nice to remember that too. Um, so. Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of does these two things and I don't think it's necessarily particular to new parenthood. I think it's anyone who's going through a time of crisis. Well, it seems like you know, the longest shortest time really focuses in on that need for that kind that kind of real talk of understanding each other's struggles and the strengths that you might have that you didn't realize that you had. And when it comes to childbirth and parenting at least from I, I have more of an outside perspective I'm, I'm not a parent but it seems like there's so much information these days of what to expect when you're expecting and you know all, all of all of the things that you can read about how things will go and yet it still seems like there's this vacuum uh, this communication vacuum of what it's actually like and I was wondering why you think that might be for all the information we have why is it perhaps still, I don't know, hard to talk about or, um, 
Yeah. Well, it's really scary to like talk about vaginal injuries. I mean, um, and, and that's, and, and there's a good reason for that. I mean, I think that women who talk about it really run the risk of being called hysterical and in, uh, ingrateful for, um, especially like if you have a healthy child, there's a lot of people who, who will tell you, you should just be happy that you had a healthy child. And I'm, of course, incredibly grateful that, like endlessly grateful that I have a healthy child. But I don't think that should negate the fact that um, there can be some real physical and psychological damage done um, to people in childbirth and um, that that needs to be dealt with. Um, I mean, I think if you out yourself as someone who is dealing with postpartum depression or anxiety or um, a vaginal injury, um, you are putting yourself in a position of seeming hysterical and, 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 and like, like you don't know what really matters. And like I, it took me three years to find help for my injury. Um, I was, I was in pain for that long and, it wasn't really something I felt like I could talk about fully until I had gotten healed and I was on the other side of it. But, um, yeah, it's just, there's a real stigma to talking about it. I mean, do you think it's maybe part of a, a broader cultural problem we have with not taking women's health concerns, whether they're physical or mental, seriously? Yeah, I do. It's, it's a hard thing to understand if you haven't been through it. And there's not enough people advocating for the fact that this stuff is real and it does real damage to people. And it's sort of easy to walk around and pretend like stuff isn't happening inside your head um, or inside a part of your body that nobody can see. Um, and so without those kind of strong voices out there being advocates for this kind of stuff, it's hard, I think, for other people to imagine that it's real. Well, and do you think there's also an external pressure put on new moms in particular to be extremely happy and like you said very grateful mm-hmm. and everything's fine and and what a joyous time definitely i mean it's interesting i feel like parenting media most often is either you know that kind of thing like yeah you have you have to be happy about everything um or kind of braggy about what a bad mom you are. And they both kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, because I just think being a parent is a complex part of life, just like anything. And so why can't we talk about it in a complicated way? Well, it's also been interesting to see um, in celebrity culture how there's been this recent obsession with... You know, these these new celebrity moms who don't look like they ever were pregnant at any point yeah. at all, and it's it's so it's not only this cultural pressure to be super happy, but also look fantastic, be super thin, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that, and the thing that people need to remember is that number one, that's their like full time job is to look awesome, and they have people watching their babies while they do that. Um, and the other thing is, I think that that's really dangerous for the media to be 
congratulating celebrity moms for looking amazing after having a baby because it makes everyone else feel like they need to pressure themselves into doing that too. Yeah, it definitely seems like the the phrase pre-baby body is a, a bit misleading for for women. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just did a I just did an episode with um, Jean Marie, who um, is a um, style and beauty blogger for Jezebel, and um, she kind of shamed me into talking about my pre-baby body. <laughs> like I'm five years in now. And I was talking about how I was like holding on to clothes that I was hoping I would fit into. And she was like, five years later, forget it. Get rid of those clothes. They're not even in style anymore anyway. <laughs> and it was really helpful to hear someone say that. To sort of la- allow you, you know, give you permission to let go. Yeah. Yeah. To just be like, this is what you look like now and it's fine. Just get over it. <laughs> well, have you gotten rid of any of the clothes? I did. I packed, like, after that, literally that weekend, I packed the clothes up and I donated them. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It felt really liberating. I bet. Um, well, you mentioned uh, parenting media and sort of that, that emphasis on happy, perfect mom versus bad mom. And there are just all sorts of just general commandments, it seems like, in parenting media of how you should raise your child and it seems like the longest shortest time really makes a concerted effort to emphasize more community versus Mm -hmm. commandment and i was wondering if it's ever tricky to maintain that judgment-free accepting tone and atmosphere both in your own podcast conversations but also too in the longest, shortest time listener community interactions. Yeah. So, um, I think it's just human nature to judge and to look at someone and be like, I wouldn't do it that way. But I also think it's important to remember that, um, maybe if you were that exact person with their exact experiences and their exact children, you might do it their way. (laughs) So, so that I try to remind myself that when I start, when those thoughts creep up on me, but in the podcast, um, there was one of my first guests was this woman, Kate, who um, she was very adamantly no cry with with putting her kid to bed. And I I had done cry it out and it had worked really well for me. And um, I did this interview with her where we talked about those two different things. And when I listened back to it a couple years after the fact, I was so, I felt so cringy because I felt like I sounded so smug and like I was judging her. And I remembered not feeling that way at the time, but I feel like I sounded that way. And I thought, oh, she must have felt so terrible. Um, and so I called her back up and brought her back on the podcast and we talked about it. Um, and she said she hadn't perceived it that way. But I know that other that listeners had, and um, so the conversation we wound up having was um, that she had felt like she because we kind of became friends after that first interview, and she felt like she could never tell me her birth story because hers kind of went well, and she felt bad sharing it with me. And I was like, no, you know, now that you've told me that, now I feel better about sharing my triumph with you. Like, we each had a triumph, and it was different. Um, just like we each had different struggles. And it was like a ni- a really nice bonding moment. Um, so it was sort of a way of using that judgy stuff 
uh, as a, as to our advantage. Um, and then, you know, we have two official Facebook groups. Um, the Mamas group is almost 12,000 strong now, and the Papas group, I think, is about 1,000. And then listeners have generated over 80 subgroups um, because they like the non-judgy tone of the show and they want to use it to talk about specific topics. Um, and for a really long time, we our rules in the group are... Uh, no soliciting and no um, personal attacks, and we have no tolerance for either one. And for a while, we just didn't even have to address any of it. And then maybe like six months into having the group, um, the, it started growing really quickly because the podcast started getting more popular. And every time the show gets featured somewhere else, it's great for the show. It's great for, for the longevity of the show. Um and new people come in who are not at all used to this non-judgy tone that we have. And they're used to their other Facebook groups where they do attack each other. And so they come in and they start, they start, start up with people. And, um, the thing that I've found is that the group members are so protective of this tone that, um, it's pretty self-regulating. They say, you know, this isn't allowed and generally, um, the person, the offending person will remove themselves because then they start feeling attacked. Um, or if it doesn't resolve that way, then, you know, we remove them, but it, it's, it doesn't happen too much. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's great to hear when audiences sort of do, do your work for you in the sense of protecting the sacred space that, that you've created. Um, yeah. So some of my friends honestly think it's a little odd that I listen to the longest, shortest time because they ask me what it's about. And I'm like, well, it's about mm-hmm. parenting. And they're like, well, that's weird. You don't have kids. And I was like, well, uh-huh. well, it's parenting, but it's about it's really just about people and, and growing mm-hmm. up. And that got me thinking about this tendency, especially the older I get, to divide the adult world and especially women into parents, non-parents, mothers versus non-mothers. And I was just wondering kind of what you think about that, of of whether, I don't know, whether we sometimes are maybe cloistering ourselves too much based on our child-free-by-choice or proud mom kind of identities. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I want to say that um, I think of the show as, um, like, the parenting stuff is just a launching point to talk about a whole bunch of other things, you know, to talk about the big human stuff, the the relationships, the sex, the work, the um, death. We cover all of that stuff, and the only requirement is that there has to be a family relationship in there. And I don't know why. We get this a lot. Like, my my producer is not a mother, um, and she's in her early 30s, and she says that she goes to parties, and people will come up and, like, whisper to her, like, I actually like the podcast you work on. And she's like, why is that a secret? (laughs) You know? Like, um why is it weird that you would like to listen to stuff about family relationships? We all have families in one way or another. Anyway, that said, I think it's really, it's, it's interesting like that we get divided in this way. And I think, um, you know, female bonds tend to be really, really strong, um, between friends. And when one person has a baby and the other one doesn't or their timing is different um it can really throw a wrench in the relationship because 
people feel like they don't get each other that well. Um, and I think like it does put your life in a, in a different place. Um, especially in the very beginning when, you know, you're not sleeping at all. But I've also, I think it doesn't have to be a complete end to the relationship. I don't think you have to be divided by, I'm only friends with other moms and my former friends who, who, my friends who didn't have kids, like, kept their non-parent friends. Like, I, I think there are ways, there are new ways to find of being adult friends and, and you have to be creative. And I do think that a lot of the conversations we have on the podcast, people have said to me who don't have children, like you're making me understand my friends' lives so much more and empathize so much more. And now I feel like I can be friends with them. We had, um, this one woman, Rachel Garcia, she's a musician, um, in California and she and her partner, um, don't plan to have children and she always sort of was she and her partner were like weirded out by their friends who started having kids and then she started listening to the show and she felt like she got it so much that they um they released their debut album and one of the songs was a lullaby she wrote for her friend's baby um because of what she learned on the podcast and so um i don't know i i don't think it has to be so divisive well, what would you recommend then to to say someone in, in my situation without kids yeah. whose girlfriends are starting to have kids uh, in terms of maintaining that relationship and and not, like you said, allowing it to sort of drive a wedge between you? I would say um, don't take it personally that they don't have as much time for you anymore. It's not because they don't want to. It's because they can't. And... Um, if they're expressing interest in maintaining the friendship, see if you can cater to them, um, at least in that first year or two, um, offer to come over and bring dinner or come over and cook with them or, you know, bring the wine and stay late after the baby goes to bed. Like my husband and I have this thing we do where, um, we live in New Jersey and we have our friends come out, uh, to New Jersey from New York and spend the weekend and do like a grown up sleepover. And, you know, my kid goes to bed at eight and then we stay up and party and it's the best. So that, that, that's my recommendation. And then, and they'll come around if you keep that up, that that's going to mean a lot to them if you do that. And once they're able to like have more of a, a life that resembles what they used to, then they'll be coming back to you. Well, and who could turn down an invitation to a grown-up sleepover? That sounds so yeah. fun. <laughs> well, you mentioned the the Papa's group on uh, the Longest Shortest Time Facebook page, um, and it reminds me of how we have heard from so so many gentlemen uh, in the our stuff I've never told you stint asking for. Well, what about stuff dad never told you? And so I'm wondering, you know, when it comes to these conversations about. Um, parenting and family dynamics, do you think that men and dads need more attention, perhaps? That's really funny. I um, I asked my husband this question on the train on the way in <laughs> to the city this morning. And he just looked at me and very flatly said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, why not? And he was like, because if there's stuff I want to know about parenting, I just go look at general parenting stuff. I don't need stuff for dads. Um, I don't know if that's how everyone feels, but I do think um, that there's 
definitely more of an urgency that I see from women feeling like the stuff that they're dealing with really needs attention. The dads, I think, need more need bonding with each other. And when you phrase it as like stuff dad never told you, I mean, you know, God, the stuff that dads don't tell their kids. There, there's so much, <laughs> it's like, right? But um, so maybe there's maybe there's more stuff that kids need from their dads. I don't know. I don't know um, how much of a demand there is for dads to be catered to in parenting media, though. Uh, well, speaking of dads, it, we just did a podcast on this, so I have to ask you: um, Do you have any thoughts on dad bods? I don't know. Uh, I think I just think that there's that again. It's like there's not as much pressure on dads to look a certain way, you know. Well, and especially after listening to this past week, I was I was binge listening to a, a number of old podcast episodes, and after listening to one on sex after childbirth and thinking about the idea of of mom bod and how just the entire thing is is so much different and far more complex than this presentation of what a dad bod is mm-hmm. um it was it was it was thought provoking i'll say that yeah um, i mean it's like it's like letting yourself go versus like stuff that was done to you you right. know what i mean yeah a complete transformation um, in a way yeah and i don't i don't want to like belittle dads and what they go through they go through a lot um but i'm just saying i just feel a lot more urgency from moms well uh since this is stuff mom never told you i wanted to ask Mm -hmm. whether there is a stuff mom never told you um just some just something generally that you especially want to ensure that you do tell your daughter sasha yeah um so my mom was was pretty um open with me about the stuff that maybe other moms aren't open about like uh body stuff and sex stuff and whatever tending to your mental health needs um but she grew up in a time where gender roles were a lot more um traditional and so like she and my dad got married right out of college and, um, so she never lived on her own and never had to really become economically educated. And, um, I did live on my own and I needed to figure that stuff out on my own. And so I would want to pass that information on to my daughter. Um, and I also would want her to know that, um, if she winds up in a relationship with a man, um, that men do write thank you notes. So, so my mom, um, in her traditional ways, um, places a lot of importance on thank you notes. And, um, like when I got married and when I had a baby, um, she was kind of stunned by the fact that my husband split the thank you note writing with me. Um, and so I, I would want my daughter to know that yes, you can expect your, uh, partner to write thank you notes too. Egalitarian thank you notes. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I have a wedding coming up next year, so I will remember that, Hillary. I will let That's my right. fiance know. <laughs> uh, when it, when it comes to the, the longest, shortest time catalog and all of the different things 
the different people that you've talked about and the experiences that people have shared, is there one that stands out in your mind that has really made a resounding impression on you? Hmm. Recently, um, I talked to this woman, Melinda. She is African-American and um, had struggled with anxiety her entire life. And she... Uh, and and then when she became pregnant, her anxiety kind of like became debilitating, but she felt like she couldn't talk about it because in her community, um, there's a real stigma to talking about mental health issues. Um, and I just thought she was so brave to come out and talk about it. Um, and it really, really resonated with people of all different cultures. And it was really amazing to see how her telling her story could could just uh, make other people feel what I what I wanted to feel when I first started the podcast, which was not alone. Um, so yeah, I think I think that one is, has been sticking with me. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that one because I also just listened to that and it had a huge impact on me as well because her story. I mean, it, it made me think about all of my fears about the possibility of if I become pregnant, if I become a mother and how like my anxiety will interact with that. And I, mean, I, I was sobbing on and off, like listening to it and was just so grateful to to hear her story and for it to be told so honestly as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, so thank you for sharing that, too. Oh, thanks. Um, thanks. So. Uh, well, for listeners who want to know where they can go to learn more about you in the longest, shortest time and also about your offline events, because it is not just a podcast. You do meetups in person. Um, where can they go to find all that information? Yeah. So they should go to longestshortesttime.com. Um, and we take stories from listeners. We take um, stories of, from parents about their relationships with their kids. And we also take stories from kids and grown kids about their parents. Um, and we also we have an app um, that, you, that you can find on our website um, where you can record answers to our questions really easily and your voice can wind up on our show. And we also do these um, events that we call speed dating for mom friends, which is so that um, moms can meet each other. It's a it's a non-judgy environment and um, it's really fun. People come and we made a signature cocktail for the last one called Sex on the Living Room Floor. And um, we could sort of take the guesswork out of making mom friends. Fantastic. Um, I'm curious, though, what was in uh, what goes in a sex on the living room floor? It's vodka and club soda with fresh orange juice and grapefruit juice and to top it all off there was a there was a lemon wheel but also um a sexy lady like a like a naked sexy lady stirrer well (laughs) (laughs) sounds sounds very refreshing to Hillary Frank for coming on and speaking with Kristen and enlightening all of us about parenthood, the nitty gritty, like Kristen said, and basically filling us in on how she got to where she is. 
And if you want to learn more about Hillary Frank and the books she's written, the radio she's produced, the podcast, and also public speaking that she does, head on over to her website, HillaryFrank.com. And for more info and more importantly, to listen to the longest, shortest time, you can head to longest, shortest time. Dot com. And we'll have links to all of this stuff and also some of my favorite Longest Shortest Time episodes on this podcast post over at StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. So again, huge thanks to Hillary for taking the time to chat with us today and kick off our podcast summer camp summer series Spectacular Sizzler. <laughs> I don't. Is that the the actual name of it? Oh, well, that, no, that's the name of the themed restaurant that you and I are going to open. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a podcast buffet. <laughs> all you can mm, eat. So great. Seas guard and all. Deep fried earbuds. Ooh, love it. Well, now we're curious to hear from listeners about your parenting stories. Do you feel like uh, a lot of times parenting advice glosses over what it's really like to make that? transition into parenthood. Um, and also, if you have any tips on bridging that parent, non-parent divide as well, we'd love to hear from you. We always love your stories. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. <laughs> letter here from Michelle about our sci-fi summer reading episode. She says, I love your discussion about women in sci-fi books. I'm a writer myself, and I gained my love for reading sci-fi and fantasy from my mother. I was so excited to hear some of my favorites mentioned, and I've learned some new names. I wanted to share another author with you and your listeners. Mercedes Lackey is an amazing fantasy writer, and her Harold Mage series is where I first encountered a same-sex relationship. I think the book was Magic's Pawn, and I was in high school. It made me pause when I came across it, but I recall that the relationship was handled in a very matter-of-fact way. The more I read it, the more normal, quote-unquote, it seemed to me. Her writing opened my mind to something I had never encountered before and helped to set me up for acceptance. Sci-fi and fantasy are definitely a great arena to explore the unfamiliar in a way that feels safe. Love you both. Keep up the great conversations. So thanks, Michelle. So I've got a letter here from Amanda on our Judy Bloom summer reading episode because one summer reading episode was just not enough this summer. So Amanda wrote, thank you so much for the Judy Bloom episode. For me, the timing couldn't have been better. Just last week, I decided I wanted to read some of Jay Blue's older books after learning that there weren't any copies of In the Unlikely Event currently available at my local library. I decided to read forever and absolutely loved it. Two days later, I went back to the library and checked out Wifey. I'm 26 years old, and this was my first time reading either book. I'm not sure why, but I never really got into Judy Bloom when I was a kid. I went to a Catholic grade school, and my parents were pretty conservative, so I think I was just never exposed to some of her more mature books. I was struck by how progressive and relevant Forever seemed, despite being written 40 years ago. I just love the message that people fall in love, have sex, break up, and move on, and that's okay. It's such an ordinary story, but one that would have been so helpful for me to read as a teenager. I hope I can share it with my future children someday. I enjoyed Wifey even more. 
Kristen, I too love a good oppressed housewife story, so this was right up my alley. I would love to hear what you think of it when you read it. I think I read this book at the exact right time of my life. I'm not sure if I would have appreciated it as a teenager or even as a younger adult. As a young married lady, I found it totally fascinating. I can't wait to get my hands on more J. Blue. And thank you, Amanda, for your letter and everybody else who's written in to us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with this one, with links to Longest Shortest Time, so you can give it a listen and fall in love with it like I have, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.